This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the ABC Church. If it's your first time with us here at ABC, we give you a really, really warm welcome. It was 1888. It was 1888 in France when Ludwig Nobel died. He was the brother of Alfred Nobel that some of us have heard of. Uh, that was a chemist and an inventor. He had many, many patents. But the thing that he was remembered the most for was the invention of dynamite. And in 1888, he had one of these people, and there's a few of them that uh, have an obituary before they're actually dead from miscommunications. You can Google a lot of this, false obituaries online. But the death of Alfred Nobel, thinking that it was he that had died, not his brother Ludwig, was reported by a French newspaper. And the headline read, the monster is dead. And it went on to write about how his invention, dynamite, had created a way that more people could be killed and annihilated more swiftly than anything else. Alfred read that obituary and he was mortified that despite all of his inventions, despite his philanthropy, despite all the things that he had contributed his life towards research and making, that he would be remembered as a monster. So at his death, he bequeathed that 94% of the millions and millions that he owes, that fund that is uh, alive and well today, has just over $3 billion in it today, in real terms, the money that he bequeathed, to award five prizes, some for peace, some for literary, um, achievements, others for chemistry, others for physics. He created five awards. Did any of you know that Alfred Nobel was the founder and creator of dynamite? Some of you did, but I can guarantee you that most of you have heard of the Nobel Peace Prize. What will you be remembered for? What will I be remembered for? What is the legacy that we will leave? This week, my Aunt Bessie passed away. She is the last of that generation. My father passed away in 2010, and uh, he had several brothers and sisters. And my Aunt Bessie is the last of that generation, and they've now gone. They have now left a legacy. And this week I was uh, asked to get in touch with my cousin Jane, who is doing the eulogy at the wedding, uh, at the uh, funeral, apologies, uh, is doing the eulogy. And she'd asked me to reflect on what will I remember my Aunt Bessie for? Well, there's a couple of things that I will remember my aunt for. The first thing, as I will remember her for, is her work ethic. The Morganses were brought up by my grandfather Thomas Morgan and work was something that was not meant to be easy. In fact, a tractor once arrived at our farm and it was sent home because it made taking out the muck a lot, lot easier than it should be. That's how crazy my grandfather Thomas Morgan was. 
And it wasn't until my father took over the farm that lots of modernization and implements began to come in because ingrained into our family was a strong work ethic to get up and to make your life count for something and to make a contribution to society. So I will remember my Aunt Bessie for her work ethic. But the thing I'll probably remember her for the most is the way she walked. I mean, she didn't walk like a normal person walks. Any of you taken a walk with Brenda, who's here, the wife of uh, our founding pastor here at the church? Brenda doesn't walk. It's nearly a trot. She might be a short woman that's four foot something, but I tell you what, she walks quick. But nobody that I've ever known walks as quick as my Aunt Bessie used to. It was unbelievable. It was nearly, I'm sure if she'd entered the walking race, have you seen them when they, the walking races when they do? And the definition of walking is that you must walk, but some part of your body being on the floor at the same time. If your foot leaves the ground and you've got one foot up, then that is technically a trot or a, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, uh, how you want to describe it. But I will remember her for her swift walks. Can I ask you a question today? What is your walk like? What will you be remembered for? Turn me to the scriptures, if you would, to Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24. Just one verse that I want to share with you. It's quite a famous verse that I want us to go back to basics, if we can, this morning. And just look at our walk with God. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24 says this. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him. Amazing verse, isn't it? There's like loads of stuff in there. But I'm fascinated and many preachers and theological minds that are far greater than mine have thought and considered what does this verse mean to walk with God? Let's pray, shall we, as we turn to God's word together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it teaches us so many things. Lord, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would come and would anoint your word. Your word teaches us that the words that you have spoken and the very words that we read will not return to you without being effective. So we pray that the word of God might be effective upon our minds, upon our hearts, upon our souls, and upon our thinking today. Holy Spirit, will you lead us into all truth as you have taught us that you do? Lord, as we reflect on this verse this morning, I pray that you would help us walk more closely with you, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My title to the message this morning is simply called Walking with God. Walking with God. Can I ask you a question this morning? And I reflect on my own heart as I ask these questions this morning and I look at seven truths that are to be found in Scripture around this area of walking with God. What is your walk like today? Some years ago, um, I had an uh, injury that was on my groin. I couldn't throw it at all. 
I was playing football at the time, or as Mark would know, I was trying to play football at the time. My football skills leave a lot to be desired. But you know, I just couldn't throw this groin injury whatsoever. And a friend of mine called Dave, who was using a physio that was down in Porthcall called Bill Sage, suggested that I go and see this miracle man, he called him. Bill Sage, who could sort me out. So I went to see Bill, and this was after I'd been to see the Scarlet's physio and so many other different people, because I just couldn't throw this groin injury. I would rest, and it would come back, and it'd come back, and it would return all the time. So I went to see Bill, and I walked into his office, and he says, oh, please stand, can I ask some details about you? And he asked my name and my address, and I'm thinking, why is he asking me all these uh, questions? And I'm still just stood there, and he comes through and says, can you tell me what you do for a living, and uh, what's your lifestyle like, what time are you up in the morning, and what what kind of things do you eat, and everything? I'm thinking, is he actually going to get to ask me about my groin injury until he goes through all this questionnaire he says uh, thank you he says um, for all of that information it helps me build a picture of your life and he says uh, can you tell me he says when did you break your left leg and i said pardon he said when did you break your left leg and i said to him uh i think it was 1992 i said how do you know he says because you're not standing straight he said to me I said, I'm not standing straight. I said, I'm pretty sure I'm standing straight. And he got up out of his chair, walked around, and picked up a large two-meter rule that was uh, uh, leaning up against the corner of the room. And he walked up, and he stood it next to one shoulder, and he stood it next to another. And guess what? There was about 25 to 30 mil, about about an inch's worth of difference between one shoulder and the other. And then he said this. Your walk has been affected and the shape of your body has been affected because of a past injury. And he went on to say, you see, what happens with a human frame or the human body? He says, if you can imagine I put a tack or a drawing pin in your shoe right now that would be poking up against you as you walk, how would you walk? We all know how we would walk. We would walk with a limp, wouldn't we? to resist the pain. And what happens when we're doing that is we shift the weight from one side of the body to the other in order to help the walk because our body adjusts with injury. There are some of us spiritually who walk with a limp. And God wants to come when we walk with him and he wants to straighten us up. So what Bill Sage did is he made me lie down on this uh, kind of treatment um, table thing that he had. He jacked it all up, and I'm up there about this height. And so he's manipulating loads of things in my back and spine and muscles and everything else like that. And then he says, can you do me a favor? And I turned. I was leaning down this way. He says, "Uh, can you have a look? Uh, up at me and I looked up at him and I'm looking at his face and he says now right in the back right hand corner of the room right up at the ceiling there's a little red sticker in the corner can you see it he said to me and so I leaned all the way over and as I'm leaning over to look at the sticker guess what he did he grabbed my shoulder he pulled it back down quickly and the whole of my back just went crunch And then he says, there we are, you're fixed. (laughs) I said, what about my groin injury? He says, don't do anything else for about two weeks. 
he says that will fix itself your muscles will regroup and take shape i need you to come back in about a month six weeks time for me to check you over but you're sorted the groin injury disappeared and has never returned ever since because my walk had been affected by a past injury I went to see a specialist, I went to see a physician that sorted me out. And whatever our walk is like today, your walk might be great. You might be a person that walks with your head held high because you're a good soldier. You might be a person that walks with your head held a little low because of circumstances, because of burdens that you're carrying in life. You might be a person that's carrying somebody else's burdens on you that takes your walk down. You might be injured, you might be hurt. Some of you, because of life circumstances, might be even hardly crawling along in your walk because of situations and circumstances. But I tell you, and I promise you on the authority of God's word, my great physician heals the sick, the lost he came to save. And today, if we address our walk with God, and if we approach it like Enoch did and decide to walk with God every day, we can walk tall and we can walk strong in seven areas of our lives that I want to look at this morning as a result of the price that was paid on the cross of Calvary through the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? So in the 15 minutes that we've got left, let's quickly just look at these seven areas of an effective walk with God. The first thing we need to be able to walk with God, and this term walking with God is, is actually what is our lifestyle like? God likes to walk with us as he wants us to walk with him. In fact, if you go all the way to Genesis chapter 3 and we read in the fall, what happens is God came to walk in the garden, says the scripture, in the cool of the day. That man and God have this long, long history going back before the fall of walking together. And it's interesting, isn't it, that as Christ went to the cross, that he is to carry the cross and take that long walk called the walk of passion to go up to Golgotha's hill, carrying his own cross. Amazing, isn't it, that once again, a walk is taken by the incarnate Son of God. God made flesh dwelt amongst us. He does a walk, a walk that brings us to freedom. And Paul and several other people in Scripture, and some of which I'll share with you now, challenge us that we walk well in the way that we live life. But will we be remembered for our legacy as being a person that walked with God? That they will say of Ian Morgan, maybe. Ian, he was an unusual character. He loved going up in the middle of winter, camping on mountains at minus 10. But he was a man that walked with God. Will they say of Andrea? Oh, and there was only one Andrea. When they made Andrea, they broke the mould. But Andrea, she knew what it was to walk with God. Whatever your reflections of Pastor Ivion, whatever your thoughts on him, whether you met him or not, you are here today because of him. You are here today because of the work that God spoke to him and did. 
there was no question on his life. The things that I remember about him the most is that he walked with God. And you can visit his gravestone today in Llanderbia Church and it says, I have fought the fight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He finished the race. He had a great walk. So, a good walk with God starts, first of all, with some practical things. First of all, the only way we can walk with God is that we, first of all, accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. That we recognize and that we acknowledge that he is the very Son of God. And if we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that forgiveness is found in him and that we agree to follow him with our lives after his pattern, the Bible tells us we shall be saved. It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must accept, we must believe, and we must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if we accept Jesus... Then we now begin walking the walk. You know, beginning the walk is a challenge in life, isn't it? I mean, I've got to say, most of you have done pretty well. I've looked around the room and I've not seen anybody that came into church this morning on their hands and knees. I have not. Because all of you at some time learned to walk. And you might have fallen over and bumped into the odd coffee table. Or you might have fallen over and smacked your head. But I've got to hand it to you. None of you quitted. You got up and you continued to learn to walk. Isn't it incredible how little children and babies, despite all the odds being against them in so many different ways, that they persevere to learn to walk, isn't it? But yet when it comes to the Christian faith so often, People accept Jesus Christ and then when the challenges of the world, worry and temptation and so many things comes in their way, they quit instead of sticking at it and instead of walking. And no matter where we are on our walk today, can I encourage every one of, uh, every one of us here in the room today to get up and to walk with God. So that walk with God looked, starts first of all with an accepting of Jesus Christ as our saviour and lord of our life. But secondly, that we talk to God. And I've got to say, you've done pretty well there too, most of you. As an infant, you learned to walk, because I didn't see anybody come into church this morning on their hands and knees. And most of you have learned to communicate effectively with one another using language of various kinds. I was with Crisaldo yesterday, and he was on the telephone, on the car, on the way back to Clandilo, and I had no idea what he was speaking about in Filipino, whatever it was, but I did pick up the word Tito, and I did grab that word. I think that means uncle or person of respect or something, isn't it? He didn't call me Tito. He was on the phone to somebody who he clearly respected. So, but I had no idea what he's talking about. Can I ask... Are we talking to God? Are we talking to God? Are we coming aside and spending time with him in our daily walk? And this is a back to basics, this part of it. Where are we with our walk with God? Do you talk to him? Secondly, not just talking to him. Thirdly, are you listening to him? Because talking to him is one thing. Listening is another, isn't it? I remember Mark using a phrase 
um, some time ago. And Mark said, uh, I remember him being in a conversation with his father because, you know, the Watkins family love a good debate. And I remember Mark turning around to his father and said, Dad, you're hearing me, but you're not listening. Dad, you're hearing me, but you're not listening. We've got to listen to God, haven't we? Haven't we? Because he tells us stuff in his word that will save us from ourselves so often. But so often we don't listen. We want to go and do it our way. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So we've got to accept Jesus Christ. We've got to talk to him. We've got to listen. And if we listen to him, then we've got to learn to, fourthly, trust him. Do you trust him? Do we really trust him? For that person that handed the prayer request in this morning for the job, do you trust him? Do you trust that God is in control? Do you trust him for those test results that are going to come this week, maybe? Do you trust him for your financial future? Do you trust him implicitly? Jesus challenges us in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't he? And if you read them through Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7, he talks about this area of worry, and he talks about the sparrows, and he talks about so many, and yet we tend to worry so much because we bring it upon ourselves instead of talking to God and just listening to him. We don't trust him. And Proverbs has told us, and lots of you have got it written on the inside of your Bible. You've got it on the fridge. You've got it on a bookmark. Some of you stuck it on the car. We say those words, don't we? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct our paths. Don't we? You've got that in your Bible. Have you underlined it? Have you got it in the hallway in some picture? And yet so often we don't do what it says. We're reading it and it goes in one year and out the other. We must trust. We must trust. Can we just simply come to God with our whole life and say, God, I put my trust in you. And this is probably the hardest thing to do. It is for me. For me personally, it is the hardest thing for me to do, which is to just leave everything with God in my life, whatever aspect it is, and to say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. Ruth and I, uh, we don't know why it happened or what kind of circumstances had led, led to it, but both Ruth and I used to have this kind of recurring dream and some thoughts about our daughter, Caris, when she was first born. Uh, and we'd had this thing that one day she was going to be run over by a car. And, you know, I can't remember whether it was Ruth that had had this dream or mine. But ever since then, it had affected as a child the way that when we were amongst traffic or wherever we went, we would hold on to Caris's hand a little bit more tightly. Until one day, I'm there at the traffic lights, and this thing, she's probably now about five, six years of age. I'm thinking, I've just got to let this go. I mean, she's a capable girl. She knows about traffic because we've had it drilled. You know, we, we, we taught her so much about taking responsibility for her own safety because I can't always hold her hand. She's 19 years of age now, and I can't go holding her hand every time she crosses a road, can I? 
there's some time where I've got to let go of her hand and just trust her and trust that God is in control. And that's what I did. And it broke something in me. And I never held her hand in that tight way ever again following that day. Because I had just said, this is madness. I am just going to trust in you. Can you trust God with the things that you treasure the most with your own life, with your family, with your finances, with the things that are near and dear to you? Can you trust him? Can you? That's what walking with God is like. It's one thing to trust in him. Will you agree with him? Fifthly, will you agree with God? You see, because it's one thing for us to come and listen to him and to talk to him and to put our trust in him, but quite often we put our trust in him and part of putting our trust in him means that we have to let go of stuff. We actually need to agree with God. How many of you know that this is a book of agreement? This is a book here that is not a Tipex Bible that we can take this and say, oh, well, I don't like that. That clearly applies to everybody else and not me. That, you know, this stuff on forgiveness and this stuff on giving and this stuff on serving and this stuff on putting others first and me last. And, or, it's, this, that's the lot. That's the teaching of Scripture for us. That's what it means to walk with God. And if we can't agree with Him, then fundamentally we've got to look at where we are in our lives because that can lead to the sixth one, the sixth aspect of walking with God, and that is obedience. Do you know what not being obedient to everything is? Disobedience. Not agreeing with everything that God speaks to in our lives and not obeying everything that he says. That's disobedience. Kings have lost their thrones because of it. That's what happened to Saul, wasn't it? He was to go and fight the enemy, and he was to kill everything. But yet, he and his men decided to keep the choice of the flock. Decided to keep some of the gold and some of the plunder for themselves. And God said, because of your disobedience. And Saul argues, you can read it in, in 1 Samuel, in the first couple of chapters, you can read the tale. And he has this argument with God. He has this disagreement over his obedience. And he says, yeah, but God, I, I killed the Amalekites. I did this, I did that. I, I kind of, what he's saying is, I like I did 90% of the job, oh God. And he said, not enough. I want it all. God wants all of us in our walk with him. And so because of that, that's why some of us walk. That's some of, why some of us walk in a way that has injury in it. You know, Paul the Apostle speaks about the area of the unity of the body. What does he say when we come and we break bread together that we not have anything between one another? Paul says that many are weak and sickly among you many sleep they drop dead 
because of things in their lives that they have decided to just do the 90%. We've all heard it said several times, do we? He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Do we accept him? Do we talk to him? Do we listen to him? Do we trust him? Do we agree and do we obey? And then finally, are you keeping your heart clean? Cleanliness. You know, it's a full-time job, isn't it? Proverbs that was written by Solomon, the wisest man, the word of God tells us that ever walked the face of this earth. So the wisest man that ever walked the face of this earth writes in Proverbs and puts a priority on it and says, above all else, guard your heart. You see, as I walk, if I want to walk well, definitely if I want to walk with a speed that Aunt Bessie needs to walk, I need a good structure and a framework to my skeletal mus a skeleton. I need good muscles for it all to work. But the engine room for all of it is what? The engine room for all of this is what? This fine specimen of a body that you see before you this morning, church. Okay, maybe not. What's the engine room? My heart. That's the first thing they'll check, isn't it? If I fall over or I collapse, they will turn up. What will they be looking for? They'll be looking for my pulse. They'll be looking for my breathing. They'll be looking for my vital signs. What are your vitals like this morning? What are my vitals like? Have you got a good heart? Or is it because of things that we're involved in, because of our diet, because of our lifestyle, because of contamination from the outside, our heart is weak? Or is our heart weak because of disease, dis-ease? The way that we are living our lives and the choices that we have made have led to uncleanliness, that we need to clean up our heart. And that there are things that we need to let go. Now in my life it's been something that personally I've had to learn to just let go of things. You know, because we can all get precious about stuff, can't we? And let go of things that are just, there's no point making a big deal of it. Just suck it up. When I'm in Copenhagen and the girls want to do something and I want to go and do another. I just suck it up, guys. They turn around and say, can we go shopping? And instead of turning around as I used to do, and I would just, oh my, we've got to go shopping again. I now say, yes, we'll go shopping, girl, girls. And I focus on the good, as hard as it is. I focus on the good. I just look at their faces as they see a dress or a pair of jeans that they like, and they look at each other and go, whoa, dad, this is sick whatever that's supposed to mean. <laughs> or another one turns to one another and says, Dad, this is peng, whatever that's supposed to mean. I don't know what kind of stuff they're up to all the time. And as they get to the till, I'm praying, Lord, be merciful to me. <laughs> Learning to see things in a different perspective will affect your walk. Can we learn to see things from God's perspective? I've shared with you before and I'll share with you in closing. It's the ultimate show of perspective is the one from Jesus Christ on the cross. 
where he turns around to a thief that is asking him to be remembered when he comes into paradise. After the walk that he just took, after the nails and the stripes and the beating and everything that he took, the creator of the universe, we wouldn't blame him, would he? If he had turned round to the thief on the cross and says, you think you got problems, mate? <laughs> Look at me. You deserve to be here for the wrong that you've done. I'm innocent. He could have said that, couldn't he? But instead, he responds by saying, today you will be with me in paradise. An effective perspective for our lives. Can we reflect and ask, are we accepted him? Are we talking to him? Are we listening? Are we trusting? Are we agreeing with him? Are we being obedient to God? And are we keeping our hearts clean? I didn't know that Elle was coming to church with us this morning. As you know, God has blessed um, our best friend's daughter, Elle, with the voice of an angel. So I spoke to Elle this morning and I said, Elle, would you do me a favour? There's a lovely um, Natalie Grant song that you sing some time ago that I remembered you singing called Clean. And I'm finishing with that point of cleanliness. And so I said to Elle this morning, would you do me the greatest favour? Would you come and sing that song after the close of my message? And guess what she said? She said, yes, no problem at all. So a very special treat for you. Can I ask you, on the backdrop of the message, as Elle comes and gets herself sorted and, and mic'd up, can we listen to this song with reverence this morning? Would you join me as I reflect on my walk this morning as Elle sings and ministers to us? And as she talks about what a clean heart looks like, and as she sings, maybe we need to right some wrongs in our own heart. That we maybe learn to not just talk to him, that we listen. And instead of maybe being 90% Christian, obeying 90% of what he, does, he is asking us to do, but that we're obedient in everything that he asks us. Obedient in using our gifts. Obedient in dealing with our sin. Obedient in serving. Obedient in our generosity with what God has blessed us with financially that we give as he prospers us. That we obey him in the area of relationships. That we become peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. Can we do that? Let's just reflect as El comes and sings to us. You can make a 
This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.